After a two-week break to lick our wounds from a disappointing Utah Jazz postseason finish, Home Court Press is back with McCade Pearson and Brian Priest coming at you every Wednesday of the offseason. Today, we recap the 2019-20 NBA season, including some brief discussion about the future of this roster. Also, we add a new segment where we pick three NFL games against the spread each week. We might even put a little wager on it. Stay tuned as all that and more is coming up next on Home Court Press. Welcome back to Home Court Press. This is your host, Brian Priest, joined, as always, by McCade Pearson and... McCade, we're getting our off-season show started. How you doing, man? I'm good. I love off-season just as much as the basketball itself. Um, I'm a little disappointed we're talking about off-season right now. I would rather be talking real basketball, but that's okay. It still hurts, but we're getting over it, and we're looking forward to a fun off-season. I love the CBA nerd stuff, how the league works, because I think that's a competition in itself. And then, of course, I just went to this conference a few weeks ago with Larry Kuhn, who was kind of the head guy of it, who's one of the top two or three CBA guys in the country, especially publicly. And so I really learned it all there again and, like, really made sure I knew every last little detail. So I'm all for it, trying out quirky little things and trying to be the Daryl Morey who cheats the system. And if you have any questions on how anything works or you just want to see if something is allowed and works or you just want to give me your dumbest idea, find me on Twitter. <laughs> well, I mean, a, a big part about winning championships is how you can exploit the system. People talk about the Patriots being cheaters. I don't look at it that way. I think the Patriots have done a great job of exploiting weaknesses in the rules of the NFL. And cheating just a tiny bit here and there. And then you mentioned Daryl Morey. Same kind of thing. Daryl Morey just takes the, the weaknesses of the, the way the game is set up and finds the undervalued players and traits, and then they focus on those things. That's the entire game of analytics. And then, of course, you always got the quirky stuff like trying to sign the NA to a deal that doesn't really work because of some quirks in the CBA, and the NBA has to shut it down because they're like, what are you doing here? This isn't real. And it's all fun, <laughs> but we can get into that nerd stuff later if you want. Well, we first, absolutely. If you want to look back at what's going on in the season. Yeah, I think that that's one thing we want to do today. So let's just paint a picture for the listeners and what we're going to be trying to do. We want to do one episode a week. We'll try and release those on Wednesdays every week. And we're just going to take one jazz topic every day. So today, being the first offseason episode, we're going to talk about the season, the overall how the Jazz played and what the expectations were going into the year. We'll talk about the bubble. We'll talk about the playoff disappointments. But we, today we're not going to go into the, anything real specific. The other episodes down the road, we'll look at the Donovan Mitchell contract situation, which I know, not to give too much away, McCade, you're not very happy, not so much about the idea of the <laughs> contract, but the timing of that contract. Yeah, I, I could ramble about that for half an hour if you want. <laughs> we got time. And then, you know, we'll talk about the Rudy Gobert contract extension situation. We'll talk about Mike Conley. We'll talk about what the Jazz need in free agency. We'll talk about the draft. We, you know, we've got a whole host of topics that we're going to go through this offseason. However long it may be, we're going to do our best to do a show every Wednesday. So stay tuned, as Bowler would say, buckle up, and let's get home court press started. Sounds like we're going to have time to do that. Um, the draft and free agency were, started a month, were scheduled to be a month from now, and they pushed that back another month. So now we have at least two months to go through everything instead of four weeks. Yeah. So that's nice. We'll be able to get through it all. If any listeners have any specific topics or questions, hit me up. We'll talk about them here or on Twitter. Absolutely. Please reach out to us if there's something specific you want to hear because that's what McCain and I are here for. And it's a lot of fun for us to look into those things. And we'd rather talk about something you want to know about than just random stuff on our brains. So, McCain, let's look at the playoffs real quick before we talk jazz basketball. The Western Conference – 
game one didn't quite go the Lakers' way, and then four straight essentially dominating wins over the Rockets and the Lakers to the Western Conference Finals. Where do the Rockets go next? So they came out. Mike D'Antoni said, I'm not coming back. There were some issues on the team plane, I guess, on the way back, and you can go with that stuff up. Um, but Daryl Morey is coming back, mostly because he's under contract for four more years, and you don't want to pay a guy to not work for the next four years. So there's some stuff going on there. They have some weird decisions to make. They don't have a lot of flexibility. They have no draft picks, really. So I'm not sure where they go. But as we just mentioned a few minutes ago, Daryl Morey is one of the more creative guys. So I'm sure we'll see something. But they just don't have a lot of wiggle room. Well, with Morey, not only is he under contract for four seasons, he's the best general manager in sports. Not basketball, but in sports. You'd be silly to continue paying him to work for another team, even whether it's in basketball or another sport. My suspicion is that when Maury leaves the Rockets, he's probably going to end up in either MLB or the NFL. But for the time being, yeah, Tillman Fertitta, he's having enough struggles where his fortune is built on restaurants and things like that. The guy's got to keep who he already has in-house under contract right now. So Lakers waiting for the winner of the Clippers and Nuggets. That's a series. The Nuggets, again, coming back from a 3-1 series deficit. They win games five and six, and they've cut big deficits from the Clippers. In game five, they were down 15 early in the third quarter. In game six, they were down 19 in the third quarter. What is it about this Nuggets team that allows them to buckle down when the pressure is on and come back? You know, I talked about this a little before the Jazz series, that they just have, they're just hard to beat. The 76ers were this way last year against Kawhi and the Raptors. It's just so hard to close the team out. That just is so physical. And so I don't even know what the word is. Resilient, where they just don't go away. So I'm excited for game seven tonight. That game is going to tip off here in about two minutes. You heard I just turned on the game. That's what that yell was. Uh-huh, okay. Um, but, yeah, the Nuggets have been super, super fun to watch. you got to give all the credit to Jokic and Jamal Murray. I was talking to my mom the other day, and we were talking about how we just got done with the seven-game series, and we don't hate anyone on the Nuggets. We're so used to building hateful relationships during playoff series, <laughs> and the Nuggets just didn't give us that. So it's fun to see them doing well and wish them the best of luck tonight. And then uh, on the other side of the bracket, the Eastern Conference, the Miami Heat steamrolled your finals favorite, the Milwaukee Bucks, four games to one. And really, that was just never a series. Bucks fans might try and point to Giannis rolling his ankle in game five, but that series was over before Giannis got hurt. Yeah, that was a weird one. I don't know how to feel about that. People are blaming Giannis, and he deserves some of the blame. But let me be clear. If the Clippers do lose tonight, I'm going to ask if Kawhi Leonard can be a top player on a championship team. Because that's what happens if you lose. You have to question if they can be a top player on a championship team. Um, but, yeah, it's rough for the Bucks. they got to figure stuff out uh, with Giannis entering free agency in about 10 months. Well, with Kawhi, the answer is yes, McCade, really simply. He can be the top player on a championship team. <laughs> I know, team. but so can Giannis. <laughs> People are saying Giannis can't because he lost, but if Kawhi loses, that's just the rule. If you lose, it means it's impossible. Giannis has to prove it before you can stop asking the question, he, and he hasn't been able to do it. I might point the finger more at head coach Budenholzer, but I, I don't know. That team needs a change. They need to do something, and if I'm in that Bucks front office, I look at possibly moving on from Budenholzer because he's he's proven to be a guy who can take a bad team and turn them good. But can he make a good team great? That's the question, and I don't know if he's got it in him. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I know a lot of Bucks fans. You know, I'm a Packers fan, so I'm very overlapped with Bucks Twitter, and they are not very happy with Bud. And uh, there are some calls to move on from him, and it's, it's hard. But you look at what happened with 
Phil Jackson and the Bulls and now Nick Nurse at the Raptors. And sometimes you got to move on from great coaches to get to where you need to get. It's true. You, you do. Um, with, the, with the Eastern Conference, we'll continue. Celtics beat the Raptors in seven games. So the defending champion Raptors go down in seven. They probably should have lost in five, if not for that OG Ananobi game winner that he hit. Just an incredible pass from Kyle Lowry. And then the Celtics and Heat play are playing game one right now. I'm not sure what's yeah. going on in Jimmy that game. Jimmy Butler just hit a three to take a one-point lead with about 15 seconds left. Okay, awesome. So the Heat are coming back. Close game. I'll let you know what happens in the next two minutes. Who do you have in that series, McCade? I have Heat and Six, but give me another 30 seconds and that might change. Um, (laughs) No, but uh, I love Spolstra. I love Jimmy Butler. Um, I just think they have a really good depth team to it. I love Pat Riley. So I got Heat and Six, but it's going to be a great series. I don't see any way that that series ends in four or five. Now, that, that series should definitely be one that goes at least six games, if not seven. Those teams are a good matchup for each other. It's a lot of fun. Both pretty small teams. I think that's fortunate for the Celtics. And the Celtics have a possibility, if they can beat the Heat in, in this series, they might be able to get Gordon Hayward back for the finals, which could be a huge boon to their championship hopes. Absolutely. Um, maybe even towards the end of this series, if it goes along. He's back in the bubble, and he's cleared quarantine, so that's good. He won't have to wait for four days. Um, he's already got that out of the way. So we'll see what happens there. Wife still hasn't had the baby yet, though, so he might be leaving the bubble again. I... Oh. oh, Jason Tatum missed the game winner. The buzzers, they're heading to overtime. Oh, man. This um, is nothing like watching live yeah. basketball while we podcast. <laughs> Playoff basketball is rolling. It is fun to watch. Um, as we said, sad it's not the Jazz. Let's go over their season, though. They had a very, I don't even know if fun's the right word. They had a very long season in more ways than one. <laughs> All right, so... Let's let's start with the offseason additions. Obviously, Bojan Bogdanovic on a on a huge four year, seventy plus million dollar contract, and then some some peace signings, a little ancillary action with Emmanuel Mudiay signed on a one year deal. They signed Jeff Green to a one year deal, and then they signed Ed Davis to a, a two year, ten million dollar contract. And I was personally, I don't know what your thoughts were, McCade. We we didn't really know each other when the season started. I had really high hopes for this Jazz team. I didn't necessarily expect them to start quick because they weren't going to have the continuity that they have in the last couple of seasons. But I thought the talent level was much higher. The ceiling was much higher, even if the overall depth on the roster wasn't quite as good. What were your thoughts? I'm a huge Jeff Green guy, huge Ed Davis guy, and I did not like the New Day signing at all. Here we are, I want to say 12 months later, but it's always been a little longer than that because of COVID and all that. But, um... I really came around on Emmanuel Moutier, and I'm interested to see if the Jazz bring him back to this summer because um, there's some potential there, and there's some things they could figure out there. He's still really young. Obviously, Jeff Green didn't work out, and Ed Davis didn't work out for a variety of reasons, but I was really excited preseason, and it really hurts that those didn't work out. We can talk about it if you want, but I do wonder, is that a front office mishap or is that a coaching staff mishap? And I don't know the answer to that. Maybe we'll get some more signings this offseason, and we can answer that better next offseason. Yeah, I, I think that's one, uh, at least for today's episode. Let's, let's hold off on, on what we thought the, the fault was for those players not succeeding. If we're talking Jeff Green, I, was, I didn't have high hopes for Jeff Green because any team he's ever played for in the league, he's let those teams down. But, yeah, I, I think that's a, a good topic for later on. As far as what the Jazz were able to accomplish early in this season, they they started out up and down, just like they have in previous years. I'm pulling up their schedule right now. I wasn't quite as prepared as I thought I had been. But 
Um, you know, 24 games into the year, they had a 13 and 11 record. They all season, this is going to be a theme as we go through this episode. The Jazz were streaky. They'd win three games, lose two. They'd win four games, lose two. They'd lose four games, win three. And, and that was something that kind of, I feel like it became a trademark of this team. And we saw it all the way through to the end with three consecutive wins against the Nuggets to go up three, one in the playoffs and then three consecutive losses. It led to a lot of emotional decisions, I think, um, again, by the coaching staff and front office, where things would just go right or wrong, and they try and change things up, and sometimes it worked, sometimes it did, and that led to more wins and more losses, and it was a very digestible season. Uh, as I slowly look back at it and go through, through some things and form some stronger opinions on things now that hindsight's twenty twenty, it's just a very unique season from the results and just the transaction side of things as well. Yeah, it, it was unique. I like the word that you used there, digestible. Um, you know, Donovan Mitchell earlier in the year, I I think a lot of people expected this big jump for Donovan to go from 23 points per game to 29 or 30 points per game. And even in year three, that's that's a pretty high Hard. expectation to have a kid have for a kid like Donovan Mitchell, especially with the frankly, lack of basketball experience that he has in his life. He didn't even play basketball full-time until he was 16 years old. Third season in the NBA at this point. I believe he played two years in college. Am I correct on that one at Louisville? Yep. Yep. And so I, I thought the expectations were for, for Donovan specifically might have been a little bit high. And then we saw early in the year that in a lot of ways, Donovan was who he had been previously. He still had a wide bell curve where he'd score 30 one night, he'd score 15 the next. He averaged for much of the season around 23, 24, 25 points per game. But you did see, you saw small glimpses throughout the year. In this early part of the season, you saw Donovan's scoring ability. You you saw... You saw game one. He had a probably one of his five or ten best games of the season on night one against Oklahoma City, a home win against a what we thought was a bad Thunder team, but ended up being really, really good. And he just took over that game and hit everything on all three levels, um, inside, mid-range, and outside. And he looked like he'd made a jump that first game. And he did. He got better this year. But it wasn't a jump like that first game might have set expectations for. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, and then, you know, big offseason acquisition, Bojan Bogdanovich that we mentioned briefly. Bogdanovich was a guy I, I wanted when he was playing in Indi- Indiana. I was scouting him as a pacer. Uh, this guy would be perfect in the Quinn Snyder system. Coming over to the Jazz, he adds some great shooting depth. He improves them on the perimeter. Defensively, they definitely take a step back, losing Derek Favors and going with Bogdanovich. But what he adds from the three-point line and in transition, I thought would be perfect for that this Jazz team. And really, for much of the season, it was but what I didn't expect, especially as we look at this early part before the, the East Coast explosion is what I'm going to call it, adding Bogdanovich wasn't enough offensively, and the Jazz still struggled to consistently score. Obviously, that was impacted by Mike Conley's early season struggles, another big offseason acquisition, this time via trade. But, yeah, I didn't expect the Jazz to struggle offensively the way that they did early in the year. Yeah, they had a, they had a weird preseason, too, but um, they ended up slowing down uh jordan clarkson trade happens cut jeff green sign rage on tucker big east coast road trip win a whole bunch of games and things settled down offensively and they look good for most of the season on that end yeah and and then 
the East Coast explosion happens. I, you know, David Locke kept calling it something about in Miami. I, I'm not really sure what it was. But basically, the Jazz win, I believe it was five games in a row. And then they go into Miami. They lose 107-104 and decided we're just going to blow everything up. Right before the game, they had traded Dante Exum for Jordan Clarkson. And then after the game, they immediately released Jeff Green. I don't even think he took the flight back home with the team. And then they replaced Green with Rajon Tucker on the bench. What did you think about those moves? I know you're a big Jeff Green fan. <laughs> uh, what did you attribute just, that to, and where did you think that would take them? Well, one thing I and we'll really talk about this moving forward is the Jazz put they had six rookies on this team, and Tony Bradley, who's younger than all six rookies. And going into next year, we're going to use our MLE. We might use our BAE. We're going to have a first-round pick and all that fun stuff. There's just no way we have six rookies come back for a second year. And so that just gets interesting. Why do you need another rookie? Now, that's nothing against Rajon Tucker specifically, but I guess it's just more lottery tickets, and you hope two out of six hit instead of two out of five. Gives a little better odds. Um, but it just felt weird that we were trying to compete for a title, yet we are having six rookies at the end of our bench. See, and I feel like the the Jazz were in a salary cap situation where they just didn't have a whole lot of options. They couldn't bring in any high-dollar free agents after they had traded for Conley and signed Bogdanovich. So it was really, do we go with a bunch of rookies and, like you said, have have as many lottery tickets as possible and see if one or two of them can hit either this year, next year, the year after? Or do we just go with a, a bunch of veterans on minimum contracts who we know what they are and maybe that works with us, maybe it doesn't? I I don't know that I love the approach that they went with with all of the young guys because we saw in the bubble, in the playoffs, how that impacted the Jazz. Once Bogdanovich went down, they just had no depth. They didn't have guys that they could rely on, and that's where I think a change would have been great as if Quinn Snyder had recognized that early in the Not saying he didn't recognize it, but in terms of playing time, he didn't show that he recognized those young guys needed some playing time to show their value. Thanks for tuning in today. Home Court Press can be found on kbear.com. Just go to kbear.com forward slash home court press. We can also be found on any of your major podcatchers. And remember to listen, share, rate, and review so more people have an opportunity to listen. Lastly, give McCade Pearson a follow on Twitter at McCadep8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. And you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at bpriest24. That's B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. As always, thanks for listening to Home Court Press, and now back to the show. Now, and that's exactly it. We probably will do a whole podcast, or at least a good chunk of one, breaking down the six rookies and what their futures are and what their contract situations are. Um, but they definitely have the quantity, and you just hope the quality comes from it. With what the Jazz have in terms of player development, the, the staff that they've got underneath, Quinn Snyder, Alex Jensen, and then obviously a big loss for the Jazz, losing Johnny Bryant going into the next season. He was you know, one of their, their head player development guys, and he's going to be working under Tom Thibodeau next season. But I do trust this player development staff. The, the problem is that they've shown that that's not going to happen overnight. I mean, it's the NBA. It doesn't happen for anybody overnight. And typically, it's going to take two or three seasons. Yes, Royce O'Neal developed into a starter. It took three seasons. Joe Ingles developed into a starter. It took two to three seasons. And even with those guys, when you develop somebody, you what you you typically have, you take a guy like, let's look at Rajon Tucker. You know that his one NBA skill 
is athleticism. That is what he 100% brings. He is an NBA athlete. And then you hope to develop one or two other skills. And so with those those development guys, you're always a little bit limited. You don't have the all-around game that you look for from guys like a, like a Donovan Mitchell, like a Mike Conley, like the guys who coming into the draft show themselves as star potential. There's a reason they fall in the draft. There's a reason they, these guys go undrafted. No, yeah, and that's where the Jazz developmental staff is going to have to come and do this thing. And we saw it towards the end of last year, and they kind of take the same approach as the Miami Heat, which works really, really well. The key is to not develop, oh, you have this player, you have Rajon Tucker, an NBA athlete. Okay, well, let's teach him how to shoot, let's teach him how to pass, let's teach him how to play defense, yada, yada, yada. That, that sounds great, but what the real key is, is if somebody has an NBA talent, you make sure they know how to use that talent. The first thing you want to teach them is, this is how you be an athlete in the NBA. We know you have the athleticism, but this is how you be an athlete in the NBA. With Duncan Robinson this year, it's okay, we know you're an NBA-level three-point shooter. Well, let's put you in positions to be a good three-point shooter. Let's teach you how to shoot contested threes and off-the-dribble threes, not handoff threes. And you really got to make sure that that NBA skill set is applicable in an NBA game. And we're seeing that with the Jazz. That's what makes them so good is they also kind of have that same mindset. And I'm looking forward to those rookies coming back and seeing how they developed over the summer. Um, whichever ones are back. Yeah, I, I think that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, the the Jazz are, because of all the young players they've had on the roster, I think they're a team that stands to benefit from the fact that they're going to have two off-seasons for these guys to develop. They had from March until July when everybody came back in the bubble, and we saw a lot of improvement from a lot of those guys. And now they're going to have from mid-September, or I mean early September when the Jazz were eliminated. I guess it was late August. Gosh, it's been a long time since no, we were no, on no, the no. air. No, no, September 1st. We made it to September. <laughs> yeah! Jazz basketball in clear. September. But the, the Jazz are going to have at least three months, but really we don't know when the NBA is returning. They, the last announcement was that the earliest game one will be played is Christmas Day. I still think that's a bit of a pipe dream. So I would expect Martin Luther King Day, kind of with the NBA's big holidays in mid-January, but yeah, we have no clue. Yeah. So, I mean, they're going to have another four months and another entire offseason for their staff to work with these kids. They've obviously obviously recognized that these are these are guys that are going to work. You know, Mia Oni came back from from the layoff and he he looked like a, a new player. Rajon Tucker looked like he had developed a level of confidence. Jarrell Brantley, Jawan Morgan, all of these guys looked like they put in a lot of work during the time off in that break from March to July. And I'm excited to see what happens because there are so many young guys and the development is definitely there. But we're getting a little lost in the weeds. Let's continue <laughs> with the season. So the Jazz make that trade for Jordan Clarkson. They released Jeff Green and signed Rajon Tucker. And like you said earlier, McCade, the offense really takes off at this point in time. The Jazz immediately go on a 10-game winning streak. They win 14 out of 15. The only one of those losses was in overtime against New Orleans. And frankly, McCade, I look at this this stretch of NBA basketball from December 26th to January 25th, an entire month of basketball where the Jazz went 14 win 14 of 15. This is the best the Jazz have looked in the Quinn Snyder era for a stretch like that, would you say? Yeah, Rudy had those two free throws, one to tie, two to win, and split them, and then we lost in overtime. But you're that second... Well, you missed the first free throw. You're that free throw away, though, from a 15-game win streak. No Mike Conley, and there was concern that Conley was going to kind of screw things up when he came back, and he came back and fit right in. Mm-hmm. And it was a really fun time to be a Jazz fan, and that feels like forever ago. Because it was. 
<laughs> that <laughs> I mean, was that nine was months ago. Yeah. <laughs> and then but it was fun and things were good. So the the streakiness of the Jazz comes back immediately following that. They they lose in overtime to New Orleans. They win four more in a row, and then they lose five in a row. They lose to Houston. That was the first game where Houston had traded Clint Capella, and they went extra small. I'll excuse that loss because nobody had seen an NBA team use that type of a lineup. So how do you combat it? Nobody knew. There was no game plan on it. There was no video to to be able to come up with some sort of a plan. And I get it. You know, it happens. Then they go on the road. They lose to San Antonio, Denver, Portland. Come back home, lose to Denver in a game that if you're a a team that has championship aspirations, you can't lose a team, lose to a Nuggets team that has eight players and was missing, was it three of their five starters or four of five starters? It was rough, but it wasn't the worst loss of the season to the Nuggets, so we'll let it pass. (laughs) It's true. So then the streakiness continues. They they lose those five straight. They win four straight. They lose another four straight. They win five straight. That was the all-star break, right? Between the win four and lose four. Yeah. It was the all-star break. They came out of the all-star break super flat and lost four in a row. And that's when things got a little uneasy. And we didn't even know what uneasy was at the time. So how weird is this, McKay? The Jazz win 14 out of 15 games from December 26th to January 25th. And then from January 27th to March... Seventh, so essentially six weeks, they don't go one way or the other without losing or winning at least four in a row. Yeah, it was not. Eh. I'll say it was good. We'll be positive. Let's focus on the win streaks. It was good, <laughs> um, but there were some problems that we didn't have to figure out. And then you get to the end of that March seventh, you have a rough game against the Raptors on March ninth, and you have a game in Oklahoma City on March eleventh, and that's when things really fell apart. So we go into OKC March eleventh. I don't think we need to rehash the narrative. Everybody knows what happened. What happened in the days following the the NBA postponing play, the Donovan against Rudy Gobert saga, whether Donovan was pointing fingers and, and upset with Rudy about passing coronavirus to him. I mean, I'm of the opinion we have no idea who had it, who gave it to who. They had just come from an Eastern Conference road trip, a game against Detroit where Another player, um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head while I'm talking. Let me pull this up. But Christian, was it Christian Wood or someone else? It was, it was Christian Wood. So Christian Wood ends up being the third NBA player diagnosed with coronavirus and after the fact admitted to playing in that game against the Jazz while feeling sick. I don't know if Christian Wood had coronavirus there. I, I mean, for all we know, it's just as likely Donovan got coronavirus while they were in New York playing the Knicks on March 4th, and he was spending some time with family because that was right in the middle, right in the beginning phases of that huge New York City coronavirus outbreak. So that created a lot of drama between these two. Rudy was able to come out. He addressed it and and said, you know, there's some things I'm going to work on, and I feel like he's been pretty straightforward. Donovan was quiet during a lot of that, that break. And we, we didn't know what Donovan was thinking. We were hearing from reporters, oh, Donovan's saying this. We're hearing this out of Donovan's camp. What were your thoughts during that time, McCade? Uh, I think we did a podcast on this whole thing, if you want to go listen to that. But in short, I was I just wanted it to go away, not get bigger and bigger and bigger. And the players themselves didn't necessarily do a good job of putting out the fire while it was small. But I think looking back where we're at now and what we know now, because you got to remember, we didn't know anything then. We didn't know if this killed 100% of people or 0% of people. We was just fear then, and we didn't know anything. Now that we know what we know, it's calmed down a little bit, and 
it's turned out all right. No matter how rough things get, they can turn around and turn out all right. And I think we're okay at this point. And I think one of the best things to happen to this Jazz team was that the NBA season did continue. Can you imagine if that feud had festered for seven, eight, nine, ten months before the next season started? What what could have happened if we go through an entire offseason and the NBA says, all right, we're not playing. We're going to go into free agency. We're going to do the draft. We're, we're going to do all of these things. How do the Jazz plan differently if they don't see Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell on the court and working together again before they go into free agency in the draft? I mean, it, 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 it could be night and day, man. Office. Yeah, it puts a lot of pressure on the front office. That they now, I don't want to say they don't have to do it now, but they at least have answers to help them now. I, see, and I don't even want to say they have answers, but I think they've got a little bit more guidance. I think they've seen that... Not concrete answers. No, not concrete ideas, answers. Ideas, maybe. But but they've had some some confirmation as to what they believed from each of these two guys in terms of when it all comes down to it. Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert care a whole lot more about what's going on on the court than what's going on in the locker room and off of the floor. And these two, their skill sets work perfectly together. So as long as mentally they could come back and work together and figure things out then I, I think the Jazz front office is confident going forward that they can hand out these big money deals to a Donovan Mitchell, to a, a Rudy Gobert, and see where it takes them. See if this is a team that they can truly build a championship contender around. Yeah, and we saw that in the bubble. Things They didn't play in a few games because we didn't care about seeding, but the playoffs went well-ish, um, rough last couple games, obviously. But overall, if you look at the 15 games from the bubble, 18 if you want to include the scrimmages, you saw that they could work. You saw that they were on good enough terms. You saw that they can win meaningful basketball games together. And that's what you want to know going forward is can we win with Donovan and Rudy? Now, you're still going to have questions about that. We didn't get out of the first round. But those questions, again, not answered, but more ideas, more data, more eye test to go off of what the potential is. The picture is significantly more clear going forward than it would have been if the season had just been on hold for nine months. I think I think that's what you're trying to get at. That is a good way to put it. McKay, I'm going to ask you one question here. I, I don't want to get into what happened in the playoffs too much because I think that so much of what happened in the playoffs and just in the bubble in general is really such an outlier because of the environment, because of the lack of travel, because of the continuity for everybody in those games, in those arenas. And it was great to see Donovan score 57. It was great to see him score 50. It was great in Game 7 to see him take the onus on himself and, and try and de- defend Jamal Murray, get some stops, and really give the, ch- the Jazz a he chance did. to win that game. But everything in Orlando, in my mind, is an outlier. Yeah, um, that's not my number one question going into the offseason, is I can sit here and talk financial numbers with you, time blue in the face. Mm-hmm. But Donovan obviously got better between March and August, and Donovan is obviously not as good as he was that we saw in those seven playoff games. Where in between those two guys is Donovan Mitchell actually at? And that's what I'm most curious to see coming out in next season. Yeah, that's that's going to be a huge question for the Jazz. I think it's going to be something that helps them make decisions on Mike Conley going forward. There's already been conversation about, is Mike Conley involved in trade talks? I don't think the the Jazz are legitimately entertaining any trade talks for Mike Conley. 
Bojan Bogdanovich contract, and is he worth it for what he does on the offensive end in spite of his liabilities on the defensive end? Would the Jazz be better served paying a more traditional power forward? Personally, I think we've already seen that. We've gone that route. They had Derek Favors at power forward and the backup center position. They just don't score enough. Does that change if they're able to retain Jordan Clarkson? I mean, there's so many questions going forward with this Utah Jazz team. I don't know if it's more or less than other teams in the league, but just questions abound. The one last thing before we we get into our last segment on the podcast today, McCade, is do you think that this Jazz core, and in the core right now today as we record on September 15th, I'm going to include Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, obviously, Bojan Bogdanovich because of his contract, and Mike Conley because of what the Jazz gave up to get him from Memphis and what he means as a leader in that locker room. Do you think this core is a championship contender going into next season? Obviously with a lot of unanswered questions in regards to free agency in the draft, but this core, can they win a title? Can they compete for a title? Yes, I think they can. I think it's very difficult, and I think management has to make the right moves. Um, you can't shoot 50% or even 75% with that core. You need to shoot 100% and get your free agent additions right, get your draft pick right, and then season trade right, keep your pedal to the metal throughout the entire season. Um, but, yes, I think that core can win a title. It's just very difficult. And so I think we have one more year at it, and then we go from there. I think this is a big, big summer for the future of the Jazz. Um, not only for financial reasons of Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, massive contracts, all that fun stuff, but this is a franchise-defining offseason of where we are as a franchise. I would totally agree with you. I think that this offseason, they they went for broke once already. I think they go for broke again. I think they probably lean a little bit more towards uh, some veterans that they can depend on and they, they know they can... Quinn Snyder can point to him on the bench and know exactly what they're going to give him. But, yeah, I think they've got one more year to really go for it. And then there's there's every chance that this Jazz team that we know and love today looks completely different at the end of the, whether it's 20, 20, 21, <laughs> whether it's 21. I, who knows what year the NBA yeah. is coming back. But after the next season, this team could look completely different. And it's I huge. I love Justin Zanuck. I love Dennis Lindsay. I love Quinn Snyder. I love Rudy Gobert, yada, yada, yada. But it's been almost a decade now. It's going to be Rudy's eighth season. It's going to be Quinn and Dennis Lindsay's eighth, ninth season, seventh season for Quinn, I think. We're getting up towards a decade, and the results haven't been there. We haven't competed in a second-round playoff series yet. Um, we haven't had home court advantage in the first round in 20 years now we're getting to that point where we've had the faith in these guys to build a team and they've done a great job building the team, but we're plateauing and that does not go well for people's jobs in the NBA. All right, McCade, we, we promised to stick to the season. We got into the weeds a little bit, but I think that just kind of gives, hopefully that gives the listeners an idea of how many topics we're going to have going forward through this off season. I, there's going to be a lot of new stuff. There's going to be a lot of things to be talked about. We'll share a lot of our opinions, and we want to get your opinions as well as fans. But let's shift gears a tiny bit, McCade. A little segment we're going to add during the football season. You and I are in a, a I don't know if we want to call it a jazz podcaster fantasy football league. Let's Let's go ahead and call it a jazz podcaster fantasy football league. And in light of that, 
both of us being NFL fans, I thought it'd be fun if we can each offer three picks every week. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. We are in a jazz podcast, Fancy Football League, and we did happen to play each other in week one. We don't need and to talk about that. We, what happened? No, McCade, it was week one. It's a 16-team league. How is anybody supposed to know what would happen week one? We've never even right. seen any I of these teams. In my other league, so we can skip it. <laughs> no, but- McCade, McCade beat me by uh, about 50%. I think he scored 120 to my 82, and that's the last we're going to mention this. All right. Move on. <laughs> All right, so each week, McCade, we're, we're going to take three picks against the lines. Uh, we'll fi- we're finding these lines on ESPN.com so we can be consistent with that. And McKay, I wanted to offer a just a small wager for you. I don't like to bet big money all the time, but I love to have a side bet on these types of things. So what would like you that. say to if we take our three picks, we'll track this all year. I know you love spreadsheets. Do you want to track these? Oh, you know I'll track it. <laughs> and then the loser will buy the other dinner the night of the Jazz first home game next season. I'm down. You okay. got it. I like it. It's a deal. Dinner, season opener, home game. Yep. So we add the Viv. It's got it. Well, dinner can be anywhere. Okay. And then Before we're going to go to the game. game. You go ahead and start. Um, my first one, no homer. Give me the Packers. Minus six at home against the Lions. Lions secondary is super beat up right now. Gave up that big lead to the Bears on Sunday. Give me the Packers at Lambeau. Minus six against the Lions. Okay, I looked at that Packers line and I just didn't I didn't like it. I didn't like the six. If it was four and a half, probably would have gone there. For me, my first one, I'm gonna take another NFC North team and That's I've got cool. the the Giants plus five and a half against the Bears. Mitchell Trubisky. The the man had one good quarter against the Lions to steal that game in Detroit. I, I just don't see it. Daniel Jones looked a lot more competent this season than he did last in their game last night against the Steelers. Uh, and, and they've got some skill position guys on that team. And they're also healthy. So give me the Giants plus five and a half against the Bears. All right. We're just going to go through the entire NFC North then. I'm taking the Vikings <laughs> plus three points in Indianapolis. I had they that one as well. Against the Packers. I don't know how they don't win this game outright, let alone with three points attached. Nope, I had that game as well. So either we're both going to win or we're both going to lose. But that, that the the Colts, Marlon Bat- Mack goes down with a torn Achilles. Somehow, since the previous season ended, people seem to have forgotten that Phillip Rivers is no longer an NFL quarterback. The man is washed. So, yeah, absolutely. Give me, give me Vikings with points. I, I think the Vikings yeah. win that outright. All right. You can't steal that. Who's your third, then? Okay. So my third... I, I'm going to stay in the NFC. I've got the Rams minus one facing the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles have been decimated by injuries so far at skill positions and along the offensive line. They built a 17-point lead against the Washington football team and lost that game. And the Rams looked pretty good on opening night beating Dallas in uh, what Chris Collinsworth would have you believe is a pretty nice stadium if you watch that game. They really like to talk about that SoFi Stadium. But... The, the issue with the Rams all season is going to be they just don't have any depth. Fortunately for them, heading into week two, they're healthy. You, and so you're going to give me Rams minus one? Yeah, I'll take that because I think the Rams probably win by a touchdown or more. All right. I looked at that one, too. This one's kind of my fire take, so to say, if we're bringing that back. Um, 
Ravens are coming off a huge win. Texans are coming off a Thursday game where they struggled against the Chiefs. I'm going to take the Texans at home. The Ravens are minus seven. So give me Texans plus seven. Uh, I don't think the Texans win this game, but I do think it's close and the Ravens don't win by more than seven. Wow, interesting. Okay, so that means basically a guaranteed win for me this week. Maybe. I have one where I have the favorite taking care of business, <laughs> the underdog winning outright, and then one in the middle where the favorite wins, but the underdog covers the spread. So I got one of each, and we'll see how it goes. You always like to swim against the stream. Always. So in short, give me Packers minus six, Texans plus seven, and Vikings plus three. Okay, and I got Giants plus five and a half against the Bears. We both have the Vikings plus three against the Colts, and I'm taking the Rams minus one against Philadelphia. Should be fun. I'm I'm really looking forward to doing this, McCade, and I can't wait to have you buy me dinner. I'm always down to buy people dinner. Um, <laughs> before we get going, follow me on Twitter at McCadeph. I don't have an article up. It's one post on a blog. But if you have any questions about the Jazz offseason, hit me up. I can get you that link. It should answer pretty much all your questions. Yeah, please reach out to McCade. Uh, he's, he's a great follow on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at bpriest24. That's at B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. As for Home Court Press, you know, first, we just we appreciate you listening and giving us a chance. As we said at the beginning of the pod, we're going to be looking to go on every Wednesday throughout the offseason, no matter how long that offseason lasts. And if there's anything specific that you want us to talk about, we're excited to continue talking jazz basketball because the offseason is a lot of fun. So, yeah, find, find McCade. Can you give the, the Twitter handle one more time? At McCade P8, them two C's, A-D-E-P-8. And myself, Brian Priest, at B-P-R-E-E-C-E 24. And then remember to subscribe, share, rate, and review Home Court Press so we can continue to add more listeners. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next Wednesday.